0: Welcome to another episode of Before You Kill Yourself with your host, Leo Flowers. I am Leo Flowers. Today's guest is Dr. Matt Kreinheader. He's gonna teach us how to be resilient and push forward. He has a doctorate in chiropractic care and a master's in acupuncture. We're gonna learn so much today about how to find more meaning and purpose, how to improve our intimacy and relationships, and How to Build More Health and Vitality in Our Bodies. Welcome to the podcast, Dr. Matt Kreinheader. Thank you for being oh, here, brother. Thank you for that warm welcome. I'm really glad to be here. I think this is going to be a lot of fun. Absolutely. I was looking at your Instagram, and someone asked you, "I, I well, you had a post about, you know, working with over 20,000 different entrepreneurs and helping them to find a path forward to healing and overcoming their traumas and whatever blockages that they have. And someone commented, what are the first three steps? Everybody wants the steps. They want like, all right, just give me the first three things and then I'm good, right? And you you uh, responded, accept, acknowledge, and I think it was awareness. Um, can you speak more to that? yeah sure thing yeah that well i'll speak to the
1: context first and then we'll speak to the three things um you know I, i have a little bit of an allergy to the the three steps as a frame of help me with whatever because you know so often people are looking for the one thing the three things the tenth and i don't know most of the time when i've seen people take that strategy they're looking for some sort of emotional pacifier, right? They're looking for some way for their brain to think that it feels better, but not actually engage what might be really going on in that problem. So the three steps that I gave, I think, are probably – useful across the board, no matter what might be happening. So acknowledging that something is happening. Oh, man, I'm in trouble. I'm feeling this thing. There's something that's got to change. I don't like what's happening here. Um, And really starting with that place of open awareness and full acceptance to I've got to stop doing whatever it was the way I've been doing it and start moving towards something that's new and real and different. And now the thing that I usually see is people have an idea of what they think that might mean, but most of the time it's far more wide ranging and the places that you're, they're used to looking for these three steps or three changes that need to happen are not where the problem usually lies. You know, if we look at the human as a physical, emotional, mental, spiritual being Usually the stuff that's got to change is happening in a different domain than where they're used to looking. So that's kind of a a start to the frame of a conversation that I might have with people. Um, So, yeah, three steps, useful, valuable way to enter into the conversation, maybe not as useful and valuable in terms of actually moving through to some sort of solution that's ultimately meaningful and really integratable and sustainable. And everyone's got to start somewhere. So it's a useful conversation starter, perhaps.
0: Yeah, I mean, sometimes we want something that's quickly digestible, and especially in a social media format, it's not a time to really get into the the weeds of things, right? You don't want to do a yeah. lot of back and forth there. Um, you know, you talk about this uh, toxic poc- positivity that mm-hmm. uh, it, you also have an allergy to, I'm assuming, and, and we're both aligned with that and that everything's going to be beautiful. And one of the things that I love that uh i saw on your website was you know you talk about people are either uh pro pro protopian where they're viewing the future and it's beautiful like we're gonna make this better it's gonna be awesome you usually see like um you know ceos painting this bigger brighter future and then you have a very dystopic view of the of the world which is most like netflix shows Right, Mm -hmm. Uh, shows like Dune or you know what, or uh, Black Mirror, which I I I admit to watching, and but you said there's a third path, and the and that path is within. And what I love about that is people who struggle with mental health, especially with suicidal ideation, we usually see things in black and white, this Mm -hmm. or that, one or the other and for you to present with us with a third option i want to drill down on that because we typically don't see the third option we don't see the the other alternatives or opportunities can you talk to us about the the path within yeah absolutely
1: yeah so you're right you know the way that people like to frame an aspirational future is as utopian you know, this kind of beautiful, bright, shining, clean, perfected city on the hill, no challenges, no uh, real struggles. And that's that's one way that we can look at the future. And you know, science fiction has made a lot of money on the dystopian kind of arc of the narrative. Which evokes an emotional response and brings up kind of this internal heroic struggle for people who are oriented to that and essentially says that everything's bad. It's going to be really bad. It's going to stay really bad. And the third way is kind of looking at the way things have always been. Things have always been good and bad. Always. There's always been positivity and negativity. Always. There's never not been a time where there's been some sort of vacillation between the utopian and the dystopian or the positive and the negative, the light and the dark. You know, we, we live, any one of your listeners happens to be kind of metaphysically oriented. We live in a a world, a realm, a domain that thrives on duality. That is a mix of up and down, left and right, good and bad. And because of that, one of the things that becomes really kind of apparent as we, extend the trend of how humanity operates from the past into the future is there's going to be more bad, but there's also going to be more good. You know, the things that we see happening now are really important kind of uh, signifiers to what is coming. There's big changes coming, that's for sure. And my bet is if there's any of your listeners who are have that kind of depressive tendency, which I've certainly seen in my life, they may also be intuitive and they're intuiting some of the change that's coming that they don't know how to kind of make sense of. But if we also rely on the way that this world has worked always is that humans have this way of using stress and challenge and pain and discomfort and harvesting that using it as energy for transformation. And that's the whole drive, in my opinion, of being a a human being and a spiritual human being is how can I turn chaos into order? How can I turn fear into forward momentum? How can I use this experience that I'm having as a catalyst for something different? Because it's all energy and story. If I can come to grips with the story, I can utilize the energy and move in a different direction. So the, the toxic positivity part of this, you know, it, there's a, a part of the journey in people's maturation where this endless positivity is actually really useful. And it's usually in the beginning stages where they're coming out of a sense of victimhood and they're coming out of a sense of I have no control over my life. I'm just in the kind of... uh the the flow of wherever life wants to take me. You know, I'm going to live as my role. I'm going to be the same as my parents did. I'm going to follow that plan. And then at some point, they get kind of um, a sense of hopelessness or meaninglessness. And that's when they usually step into, no, I can choose the way I want to feel. If I focus on happy, I can feel happy. And I can do that as much as I want. And that's actually a really useful skill set to learn. I want people to have that skill set. And then there also gets to a point where that uniformity becomes really brittle. You know, if they're only positive, then they have to ignore the negative and they miss all that fuel for transformation, right? The, the journey into the pain and the discomfort and the, the quote unquote dark side of human being is a massive catalyst for growth and transformation if we can learn
0: how to use it the right way. Yeah. You, you talk about, you know, fostering that ability to sit with our difficult emotions mm-hmm. as part of it. And I, for one, with my master's in psychology and the, the, all the books that I've read and all the guests that I've had on still to this day struggle with sitting with some of the emotions. I, I, I struggle with uh, boredom and inadequacy and uh, obviously suicidal thoughts. What does that look like to sit with your emotions? I, I know that you're big on uh, getting into the body and out uh, you, with your background in chiropractic care and acupuncture. Talk to us about how do we sit with these uncomfortable emotions when we can't call our therapist or our friend isn't picking up or mm-hmm. the, the journal is going is to be read by our parents. So that's yeah. not an outlet.
1: Yeah, yeah, good question. So I want to offer a couple different ways to answer this. And I want to offer it in a few different ways, because I know that everyone's on a different part of their journey. So to just give one answer is actually a disservice to the people who aren't at that part in their journey. So the first thing that I would say is usually people who are, and I'll qualify, I'm not a psychologist, I'm not a therapist, that's not where my doctorate lies. But I, like you mentioned, I have had my hands, uh, 20,000 sessions, entrepreneurs, high performers, people who you know struggle with these things. So I'll just speak from what I've seen, not as a licensed medical professional in that way. When people get to that place of hopelessness, one of the main things that usually is arising at the same time is a sense of pervasiveness, which means that they don't see how it's ever going to get any better. Right. There's this enduring sense, a story that the pain or the suffering is telling, saying, you know, man, like, I don't think this is ever going to change. I don't see any way that I could ever forgive myself. I don't see any way that I'm going to climb out of this hole. And one of the ways that I start with people is, you know, just recommending that they might do a little bit of work to prove that that's not true. So if we can break down the foreverness, usually people find more endurance. And if they can find more endurance, then they can get to the next happy thing. And then maybe from there, they can start an upward spiral. So that's one of the beginning things that I like to recommend for people. Now, getting a little bit more nuanced and being with the emotion, I split this down into three categories. Because when we're having this, this really low moment, there's usually a couple things going on. There's sensation in the body. There's the emotion, and then there's the story these, the emotion is telling, right? And so they usually think I'm sad, but that's actually not sophisticated enough to dress all, uh, all three of these different things. So one, the story. Can I hear the story the pain is telling? And can I just for a moment not believe in it? Maybe not forever, but can I just question, hmm, is that true? Is it really, really true? And sometimes just questioning it and know that you can question the story can be super useful. And then the next uh, part I would have them start with is what does the sensation in your body feel like right now? So for most people, there's a sense of heaviness in their heart or in their gut. For other people, it's this unbearable weight on their shoulders and maybe their shoulders are really tight and it's correlating with some headaches. For other people, they just feel numb. They don't know how to feel the the sensations in their body, but there's something happening in their feeling body that they're usually disconnected from. And one of the things that I recommend is if they can just be with a sensation. So just keep their present focus on the sensation and do simple things like maybe breathe into that spot. Or if they have awareness of how to move energy, maybe they can send some, some positive energy, some love, some attention, some care, some just kind of natural presence down to that spot. And because the, the kind of underlying foundation of the depression is associated with, in the nervous system, a sympathetic, a fight or flight a type of stress in the body, If we can break that stress response, a lot of times the mind and the emotions have a much better chance of changing. So a lot of times the the journey of healing the depression or whatever it is, is a journey into the body and a journey of learning how to be present to those sensations and giving them the permission to do, move and be whatever they are and knowing that emotions are temporary and if we can give them permission to actually move instead of trying to fight them with our mind, they can move through and then a different emotion becomes available. So when the story is just sitting on top of the emotion, the emotion has a really hard time moving. If we can relax the mind and let the story sit on the sideline for just a few minutes, be with the sensation, allow the sensation to be, whatever it is, allow it to move through the body, breathe differently, move differently, hold our posture differently. And a lot of times the emotion has a different opportunity to express change, move, turn into tears, turn into laughter, turn into whatever it wants to be.
0: This is why people break down in yoga class all the time, right? Because Mm -hmm. that type of movement for an hour or 90 minutes is truly a journey into the body. And I see people weeping and sobbing and, um, just laying there in that corpse pose for an Mm -hmm. extended period of time after a class. So, so I love the idea that you talk about putting the story on the sideline because a lot of times when our emotions feel too intense, we try to figure out why we want to understand it. We're we're all in our head, but tell me why, why did this happen? And what you're saying is forget the why. To get the understanding, put the, take your head off and put that off to mm-hmm. the, stand, right? Put yeah. your brain off to the side, which is interesting because I recognize in the moments where I've had wanted to end my life. And it was so intense. I had this imagery of wanting to screw my head off and mm-hmm. put it to the side. And I recognize now from what you're saying. That's a cue for me not to actually screw my head off and put it to the side, but to put my story on the sideline and get into my body. Yeah. Um, And I find that through uh, putting my hands in cold water or grounding. Um, Are there some other ways that you found that have helped people get into their bodies and out of their head? Yeah, yeah. Tons of ways. And, and I would
1: say great awareness to that unscrewing the head thing. I think that's really a, a, a cool way of thinking about this. Um, you know, one of the things that I, I sometimes see correlated with people who um, are having these experiences is, and I want to be really careful with this. This is not a judgment. It's not a critique. It's just an observation, is that they avoid doing hard things. So I I have a history of that depressive tendency because I take a lot of risks in business and in life and I want to move forward and I want to grow fast and there's times that it works and times it doesn't work and at times it looks like it's never going to work. And I know for me as a, a male in a masculine oriented body, I need to do challenging things. So three, four, five days a week, I'm in the gym lifting heavy stuff and stuff that I don't know if I can lift. But what I find is when we have purposeful struggle, there's something in the human animal that says, "Ah, if this is possible, other things might be possible too. And that's from the psychological side, but then also from the just the the hormonal side and kind of the embodiment side and the energetic side, like finding ways to give ourselves a meaningful win and moving heavy stuff is a great way to do that. And I would say even if you're not male, masculine oriented, don't like lifting weights, don't like doing that kind of stuff, finding something that you can dedicate yourself to for the next, you know, hour that may be challenging, but you know that you can overcome. Part of the way the hormone system works in the body is it's looking for that cycle of effort and reward, effort and reward. So whatever it is that feels compelling, and then I would also add that's not associated with screens and blue light and you know other things that tank our, uh, our energy and our hormonal response in the body, bonus points if you can get out in the sunlight, bonus points if you can get your feet on the earth, like all those things are major helpers. But I really like helping people reorient to meaningful struggle and finding their way back to, um, a, a way of engaging that, that helps them start a chain of wins.
0: I love that idea of meaningful struggle. It's so valuable. I've noticed that working out in the morning, first thing, mm-hmm. uh, for an, I used to work out for 20 minutes and then I talked to a buddy and he said he does this for about an hour, 90 minutes. And I was like, a 90 minutes, who does that? And then I was like, let me just see what that feels like. And I love it. I realize, like, I'm at a more relaxed pace. I'm, I'm tuned into my body a bit more. I don't feel as rushed. And I know that that's a, a privilege not everyone has to have that kind of time and, and to work out. But if you do have that opportunity, you're right. Like, I feel more engaged throughout the day. And I can definitely feel an uptick in my testosterone level. Not that I'm, mm-hmm. like, walking around all angry and aggro. But I I feel more feel more prepared for whatever the next thing is. And I'll make yeah. and not that I'm excited to do it, but that I am ready to do whatever that next thing is. Uh Dr. Matt, to why was chiropractic care and acupuncture your pathway into the body and understanding how to heal entrepreneurs? Mm. Or was uh, that something that, um, came after? Yeah, it's an interesting question and I appreciate you
1: asking. And, and it's a little bit of an unusual path into that. So my, my passion is spirituality and mysticism and the spiritual journey. And I spent at this point over 20 years practicing, studying Zen. And I was, uh, when it came time to decide what I wanted to do, I, I'd been doing all kinds of management and actually retail management, running music stores, and you know managing teams, doing that kind of stuff, which I really loved. But it was clear that that needed to change. So I kind of asked myself, like, what do I want this next season of my life to look like? And for whatever reason, you know, the the heavens opened up, and uh, I heard myself say. I was looking for a practical application to explore metaphysics. So, basically, I want to see how the universe works through human beings. So, I started looking at all these different paths. Um, I looked at medical programs, uh, MD programs. I um, got accepted to a a master's in Buddhist studies, um, which I ended up not doing. And then um, I looked at chiropractic and Kind of understood that the core message is if you take all the undue stress off the body, the body does what it's supposed to do, which is healthy, be happy, and thrive. And a lot of the stress that we have in the body is tension and uh, psychological stress and repetitive, just uh, physical tension that's stored as stress in the bodies. So when I got to chiropractic school after doing two years of prerequisites and then, you know, three plus years of of chiropractic school when i got to school i realized there's over 100 different chiropractic techniques i said well i gotta figure out what i'm gonna do so i just went to start to visit offices and learn from doctors and see what they were doing and i found a uh, an office that was doing a technique that's uh, i ended up doing for the rest of my practice which is called network network is a very light touch low force there's no cracking no crunching and it's just designed to help the human body come out of long standing patterns of fight and flight, stress and tension in the body. So what I witnessed was people who were coming in for pain, but they were leaving saying, oh my God, I had no idea I could be so relaxed. Oh my God, I had no idea that this trauma from 10 years ago was still in my body. And I just had this memory. Oh my God, I had no idea. I was so disconnected. No wonder my wife has been feeling isolated and alone. And they would have all these realizations as the stress left their system and then I would ask them, "Well, what about the pain?" And one of two things would happen: either say they would say, "Oh yeah, that's not really there anymore either," or they would say, "You know what? It's there still, but it's not nearly as relevant." You know, they started to view their pain as a systemic symptom of all the other psycho-emotional, physical disconnections that they were having. Um, so that naturally led me to say, "Okay, if this work is this powerful." Who can I impact that will be the greatest lever to make the biggest difference on the planet? Because I'm all about, you know, helping us as a species make the biggest change possible. So I said, if I can help soul oriented, heart oriented entrepreneurs create businesses that uh, allow for enduring positive benevolent change for us, for humanity, for the planet, that's work that's meaningful and important. So I started working with entrepreneurs. And what I found is that they're always looking for being at their leading edge. They're looking for ways to stay in the pocket, stay in the groove and really feel like when they have to deliver, they can deliver and ways to manage their inevitable spiritual awakening that seems to accompany this entrepreneurial journey for most of them. Um, and they they were looking for ways to stay in touch with that. So kind of a circuitous route through to find myself working with So many entrepreneurs at this point, both in healing and in coaching, which I've also been doing for eight plus years now. Um, And and really what I was looking for was like, what's the magic recipe for entrepreneurs to help them up level and upgrade to be the entrepreneur? They know their business is asking them to be so they can make the biggest change the world wants from them.
0: Yeah, because I would assume that for entrepreneurs, you talk about being on because I see a chiropractor myself. And I definitely feel uh, loose, and uh, I had uh, a spinal fusion C3 through 5. Mm. And so uh, there's, I definitely feel a difference when I walk out of there. And I, and I imagine myself, you know, getting back online. Like I feel offline, and then I feel online once I'm, I'm back in there. So, you know, thank you for the work that you do because I, you know, I, I was like, ah, they crack backs, whatever. But but now I see the efficacy of, of the work. And is this something that because you're a healer, uh, a helper, is this a role that you played growing up in your family?
1: That's an interesting question Um, and insightful. I, I would say that I don't know that I would have considered myself a healer in my family. What I would consider myself was very sensitive. So I was always very emotionally aware of what was going on around me. I was very tuned in to the stress of my parents. I was really sensitive to kind of the energetic, emotional perturbations in the household. So I got really good at tracking someone's state, if you will, the way that they were feeling. And that set the stage for being able to tune into what was happening in someone's body. And their body is really just kind of a holding uh, structure for their emotions, for their thoughts, for their outlooks, for their beliefs, their perspectives, and the way that they're encountering the world. So that sensitivity and that kind of emotional energetic listening was on board early on. And then that continued to kind of manifest and grow and change as we, uh, as I moved into practice and became one of the things that people ended up coming to me for specifically. They were looking for someone who could really tune into what was happening in their system beyond just the physical and give them their next evolutionary step. Like what has to change, what has to grow in order for me to break through this pattern or have more of what I really want in life
0: this, you opened up with saying, you know, you were sensitive as a, as a child. Mm -hmm. And I remember when I was in college, uh, I told a a girl, I was a Pisces. I don't know how it came up. And she was like, oh, that means you're sensitive. And she said it in this very negative, this very negative tone. And I never forgot it. I never forgot how it made me feel to have her be like, oh, you're sensitive. And and I was like, oh, okay. I didn't realize this was uh, like the scarlet letter or whatever. <laughs> and I would assume that there are a lot of men out there, but a lot of people who are sensitive and we kind of demonize being sensitive because it's like, yeah. if you cry, I'll give you something to cry about. You got teased. If you show too much emotion, have you always been comfortable with acknowledging you're sensitive? And. If so, how would you help others reframe it so that they can own it and feel empowered by feeling sensitive uh, or by being sensitive so that it's not this thing that they're trying to avoid or hide or suppress? Yeah, I love that.
1: Yeah, I I I have always been sensitive. It has not always felt like something that I enjoyed. I spent a long time. Uh, learning how to push those feelings down and not feel those feelings. Um, as I think anyone does, you know, there's just stages of development where we have to develop uh, control over our emotions. And then later on, as we continue, we have to develop the allowing of those emotions. And there's different ways that people cultivate strength that are pretty reliable if they continue to evolve through life. But I would say later on, I really, especially the more healing work I did with people, I came to see that sensitivity is a superpower. And the more aware I can be of what I'm feeling and noticing means the more tuned in to what's happening in a space I can be, the more clearly I can read another person, the more specifically I can help them feel what they're feeling, notice what they're noticing, evolve and grow now the the challenge with this is sensitivity without strength so most people go through a phase of finally allowing their sensitivity to occur and relaxing the vigilance around being sensitive but what ends, ends up happening inevitably is they they have all of this emotion and energy flood their system and for a little while they're on this roller coaster of of You know, I used to go to this place that I really liked. I can't go there anymore because it's too chaotic. It's too loud. The people are rude, you know, and they never would have noticed that thing that that stuff before when they were shut down. So there's a a moment where they also have to, in in addition to the sensitivity, develop strength. And that's emotional, energetic strength of I can be with this sensation. I can be with this emotion. I'm not going to shut it down. I'm not going to push it down. I'm going to allow it. And i've got enough bandwidth in my being in my awareness in my nervous system to handle the quantity and quality of information that's moving through me that i'm perceiving as energy or emotion or thoughts and beliefs or whatever it is so that to me is the core resilience you know that resilience is really how much can i be with and stay in the game and then also learn what do i say yes to and what do i say no to and that's the essence of boundaries so the resilience, the boundaries, the sensitivity, the strength, they all start to kind of merge together until you become this person that that can read the environment, read yourself, be with all your experiences, be with others in their experiences, and look for what is the most optimal path forward to move the whole benefit of everyone in a positive direction. And that just becomes really fun.
0: Wow, I, I, I feel lit up with everything that you're saying, because right now I am struggling with sugar addiction mm-hmm. and as I'm becoming more sober and working the steps, I've noticed that the things that I was okay with mm-hmm. or that I um, found acceptable are no longer acceptable. Or mm-hmm. like you said, now, now that I'm uh, more aware of how I feel the rooms are too loud. The, the sounds are too distracting. Everything is annoying. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm too tuned in to how I feel. And you're right. One of the things I've been telling myself is I can handle this. I can breathe through this. I can't avoid overstimulating. You know, I love to travel. So airports, train stations, I'm from Chicago, big cities, et cetera. Um, But I do recognize a need to recover from those Mm -hmm. experiences, which I also was not very in tune with, my need to recover. I thought I can go from overly stimulating experience to another overly stimulating experience without any rest or recovery in between. Can you talk to us about how to recover from controlling ourselves in chaos because that takes energy and mm-hmm. i think that we don't recognize how much energy that takes and then we're off for the next event or thing and we wonder why we're not operating uh optimally does that does yeah. that make sense what i'm saying to you sure does sure
1: does for sure yeah you know, there's there's a couple different ways to look at this. And I think the first thing is identifying which tank you've emptied, right? So for some people it's a it's a physical, neurological gas tank that they've spent in this chaotic environment. For other people, it's an emotional energetic. For other people, it's a social tank that they've that they've emptied. So getting clear on like what was the part of this that burned me out. And then how do I get that gas tank refilled? For some people, it's it's being under the fluorescent lights and the buzzing and the noise. So they need four hours of nothing, of silence, or you know, of chant music or whatever it is that, that is gonna kind of speak to you and get you back to some equilibrium. Um, so I think that the specificity of of what I actually need is important. Um, and then I think that there's a, a period, usually, of testing that and making sure that we're not running from the chaos. That we can really still find the value of being in, say, situations where we get to be around other people and meeting and being social. And you know that part of us needs to be fed too. But being re- being really clear on what it is that actually needs to be refilled, and then finding your thing. You know, so there's a lot of talk about self care, and I think that self-care is very important. There's a lot of people who are using it as a mechanism to run from discomfort. I don't recommend that. Um, But finding what happy or full or capable or safe in your body or, you know, whatever it is that you're actually after, what that feels like, and then finding the needle movers for you. You know, so for me, for my physical body, it's going and working out, doing a cold, cold plunge, doing hard things. For my emotional body, it's spending time with my partner, Amber, and just having that heart to heart space and uh, allowing both of us to just feel connected for my mental body. And when I'm overly uh, mentally stimulated, it's being in nature and just taking a walk in the woods, you know, so figuring out which thing it is and and addressing that is really helpful for getting clear on how much energy you can expend when the stress is up and then finding how much recoup time you need in order to get back into it.
0: Well, and so after a, a day of working with clients, I would imagine you need some time to unwind. So so does your, your evening routine look like spending time with Amber? Are you Netflix and chilling? And I'm asking this because to me, sleep is so foundational to health and mental health. Yeah. Like if my sleep is off, Everything is off. Um, And that could be a story I'm telling myself, but I mean, just physiologically, uh, as I struggle with, uh, I have sleep apnea and I have a a mouthpiece Mm -hmm. that's been very uh, helpful with that and probably has saved my life in so many ways. But um, I I just, from the people that I talk to, their bedtime routine is so... um, I mean, they go from work, they come home, Netflix and chill. They put on like a crime horror show and then they lay in bed and go, I can't sleep. And I'm like, yeah, there it might be a reason why you can't sleep. What if you don't mind sharing? What does your bedtime routine look like traditionally? And I know this changes because you travel. But, you know, if you're if you're you got it really dialed in.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's probably a little different for me because a lot of my spiritual practice is happening in the falling asleep cycle. So I'm working with practices like lucid dreaming and astral projection. And so there's a different kind of flavor that's happening in those moments. So it's it's pretty meditative. But I would say, you know, give a a kind of a wider ranging look at this, like in the house, in the evening, lights are low. We use salt lamps. So there's a, a warm, soft light rather than bright, harsh lights, because as we know, blue light bright light keeps the body the mind and the adrenal glands up and working. So as we're in this process of kind of winding down, we want to mimic what was happening with the sun. And what I noticed as we started to do that more and more that when it started to get dark I started to get tired. And I was like, oh, that didn't happen when I was watching TV late at night or that didn't happen when, you know, I was working late and all the lights were blasting and blaring. So just from a physiological, that's one thing we keep our, our stimulation lower at that time of day. So I don't usually watch shows later into the night. Um, sometimes I'll watch a movie and you know, it'll be eight, nine o'clock when we finish or whatever. And, and that's fine. I do notice I don't usually sleep as well when, um, we've done that. Um, and then if I've, if I've set my day up well, and I can go to bed, usually around 9, 10 o'clock. That is a good spot for me in terms of time. And then I'll just lay and do some form of meditation until I feel myself slipping, slipping, slipping into dream state. Um, And that's not usually what, when I have talks with people about their sleep, that's not usually what they're doing. Most people are usually waiting till they're exhausted, and then falling asleep. So whether they're looking at their phone or they're watching TV, they're waiting for that signal of, I can't keep my eyes open anymore. And that's not how I've seen sleep actually work best in the body. You know, We start to slow ourselves down, and then we take this kind of stepwise motion into, I'm drowsy, okay, I'm a little sleepy, I'm gonna lay down. Okay, now it's time to just let the body relax. Relax, relax, relax more and more into the bed, head into the pillow. And then there's this moment where you have to find your, you know, your comfortable position that your body knows means sleep, move to that position and and off you go into the dreamland.
0: Man, you just highlighted something for me because in the evening we'll have the lights on and watching TV. And I've been so much more conscious of light pollution at night and how it affects my sleep. And I didn't. I didn't think about putting in salt lamps as because mm-hmm. uh, so Michelle likes to have the lights on. I'm like, turn the lights off. She's like, but if we watch TV with the lights off, it's bad for our eyes. And I realized the the the, the third option, as we you know, seems to be the theme of this: salt lamps. It's, mm-hmm. it's bright enough to see, but not harsh enough to uh, overstimulate me. Um, and and in terms of sleep, I. Uh, went into a, a doctor for uh, a, a masseuse was I have sciatica on my right side, mm-hmm. and she talked about sleeping on the floor. She said if mm-hmm. you look at you know old you know ancient cultures, a lot of them practice sleeping on the floor, and that's why they have like great posture and yada yada. So I've been practicing taking a nap. I take a siesta, and I sleep on the floor. I lay down two yoga mats, and I have a neck pillow, mm-hmm. and I feel great. You know uh depending on how close i nap to what i eat what are your thoughts on sleeping on the floor and i'm asking because when i go to google i get a range of ideas and thoughts and perspectives
1: yeah yeah i i think i would probably echo that range and more so than there not being a right answer i would say that there's probably a right answer for every individual so, you know, there's a a, a a thing in the body, actually in the brain that there's a pattern of how the body has to be in shape for the brain to say, "Oh, this means it's time for sleep." It's called a cerebellar engram, it's a big technical term, but basically means in the cerebellum, there's this pattern that says, this body position says time for sleep. So I find like when I'm laying on my back, I'll go into what they call the hypnagogic state, which is that dreamy, wakey state before you fall asleep. And then when I turn over on my side, I'll be asleep in two minutes. So the body needs to be in whatever position it needs to be in. So the the thing that I like about being on the floor is that if you're closer to the earth, I like the idea of grounding. In terms of like getting in touch with the actual uh ionic flow of the earth and being in touch with that process moving through that we're often disconnected from um in in modern culture and there's a whole set of science around this called earthing if people are interested in that they can buy products and books and all kinds of stuff that I'm, is not associated with me um, but i like that part and then i would say you know as a chiropractor i saw Everyone was like, well, oh, I, I know I'm supposed to sleep on my back, but I can't fall asleep on my back. And I've bought four pillows and I do this. Dinner. And then my knees are I'm like, bro, like fall asleep, how you're going to be comfortable. The most important part is that you're sleeping. And then if your body hurts when you're waking up, probably means you need to be more active. You need to stretch. You've got some muscle imbalances. There's other things going on, but get your eight hours and we'll work the rest out.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, I've definitely started stretching before I go to bed at night. Um, is there anything from your message? I know you have a, a new book out. Can you talk to us about the book? And and is there anything from that book that we haven't talked about that you think is core to my listeners?
1: Yeah, I mean, it. it that's a whole big, long conversation. So the book is called Awakening the Mystics. um, And it's really, uh, the subtitle is a a rally cry for the dormant mystic archetype in the time we need it most. So that kind of gives the flavor of where the book is heading. And like I said, my, my most passionate area of life is mysticism, esotericism, spiritual journey, spiritual awakening process. I'm doing a PhD in philosophy right now that's basically all focused on how do we wake up? Where do we wake up into? So the book is really is a call for those who experience themselves as kind of that liminalist, that person that's on the edge of the culture, who's got a foot in both worlds, who sees themselves as spiritual. And because they're spiritual, the world kind of doesn't make sense. Um, And they're looking for something or someone who can hold that perspective and speak life into it because we've, there's not a lot of people who really live in that space and it can be confusing or scary, or people don't really know what to make of it. And there's a lot that needs to happen to orient that path in the right direction. So the way that I wrote the book is in, I can't even remember how many, but a bunch of short chapters. Because I wanted people to be able to take, you know, two, three pages of reading on a complex, deep talk topic and have just a delicious bite of it and have a way to kind of like access that little bit and let it sit in their system and start to work on them as they're either moving throughout their day, they're falling asleep, but give them kind of that sense that they're mystically not alone, that there are people out there who get them, there's people who are really on the same path as them and start to give them some insight and direction into how to make this journey of spiritual awakening really powerful and meaningful and important and transformational for their lives and for the lives of those around them.
0: I love that. Uh, Last two questions, and I ask this of all my guests, always imagine there's one person who's tuning in who may be on the precipice of wanting to end their life before you kill yourself what would you say to them
1: big question i mean i think i i want to break this down to a specific person and i'll i'll speak to the person who has a spiritual orientation since we were just talking about mysticism because i wouldn't give the same advice to everyone um and, and this is a little bit of background. I think, you know, that's one of the challenges with our modern society and our internet is everyone's got the right answer, quote unquote. I don't think there's any right answers. I think there's the right answer for the right person at the right time. And getting that level of specificity is really important. So we'll speak to, because you asked this question a lot, we'll speak to the people on the spiritual path. I've seen a lot of times that there's a suicidal impulse within spirituality that is very confusing because there is a legitimate part of the self part of the identity that has to die in order to make room for the new version of you to come online and they've called that ego death they've called that the dark night of the soul they've called that all kinds of things but The body and the nervous system, just the only message it knows is this is the end. We're going to go. We're going to die. It can't differentiate between different parts of the identity and the whole being. So for those on the spiritual path and who are feeling that impulse, I would invite them to ask a question. And that question is, what part of me thinks it's got to go? and what they may find is that oh this is this is a wounded subpersonality or this is a wounded aspect of self that's really looking for a new relationship to the rest of how i be it doesn't mean i have to physically kill myself it doesn't mean i need to end as a being and differentiating those two experiences and those two ways of perceiving I've just found to be really useful because in the spiritual process, there is a part of us that dies. There is an identity. There's an old way of being. That's not the physical being, but there's an aspect of self that gets to go. And then there's a new version that's more compelling, more powerful, more capable, more exciting, more engaged, more alive that comes online. And it's usually really fun. And it's, people find that, that the juice is worth the squeeze of that
0: process. <laughs> and last question. What are you looking forward to in the next 24 hours?
1: <laughs> fun fun question. Um yesterday I spent the day with a handful of beautiful humans. We had a party at our house and People who are uh, my wife Amber and I. She's got a, a business called the Temple of Wholeness, which is a 501c3 church organization. We're dedicated to helping those who consider themselves spiritual but not religious find a place in life and society where they really feel like they're flourishing. So we had a bunch of people from that, uh, from different programs within that, over other people we know, a friend who's a former Navy SEAL, and you know, just a, a beautiful group of humans. So on my calendar today. I have 10 minutes to sit in the memory and the appreciation of all the goodness that happened yesterday and to relive the richness of conversations that I won't have this week or next week because I won't see them again. You know, serendipitous kind of rising of conversations and topics that probably won't get to talk about for another little while and humans that I really love. And I found that if you can dedicate time to the active appreciation of the positive things that have happened, you lay down a foundation for that becoming an easier route of experiencing your life. If you want to be happy, you have to practice being happy. And not a lot of people talk about that. You know, like, how do I make happiness a well-worn groove? I don't make appreciation a well-worn groove. So my nervous system knows how to get back there more easily. So I'm going to dedicate some time to that today, and I'm really looking forward to it.
0: I do that every night. I, it's, um, I, I think it's called a mandala, where like they click through their day. And mm. I realize that when I click through conversations or TV shows or moments in my life, it's so much better than ruminating over that one part of my day that I thought was crap or it was like, you know, why, 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 and went on to screw my head and put it off to the side. So thank you for highlighting that. And, and I love, it's so beautiful. Like to take 10 minutes to sit in the memory of a beautiful moment. It's like that to me sounds more accessible than, uh, just sitting and reflect or think about what you've done. Like, only time we've been told to think about what we've done is like when we've done something wrong, go sit and think about what you've done. And there's never like a go sit and think about what you've done. Right. You know, kind of deal. So thank you so much, Dr. Matt. Uh, thank you so much the listeners. Where can people find you?
1: Uh, easiest place is my website, drmatk.com. And then I'm on all the usual channels, the Instagram and the, the Facebooks. And, you know, you can find me in all those usual places and feel free to reach out. If you have questions, if there's something on your mind, if this brought up something in your awareness, it's always
0: fun to hear that from people who are listening. Thank you so much. Thank you so much to listeners for tuning in. Remember this podcast is not a substitute for you calling to get help for you calling to 988 or any of the 800 numbers no matter where you are in the world you can chat talk text Uh, if you're in Portugal if you're in Greece Milan wherever you are in the Philippines uh, there's a number listed in the show notes for you you can go to thrivewithleo.com for one-on-one coaching with yours truly let's get to tomorrow together thank you so much Dr. Matt my pleasure thank you